Wow, this is such an honor to be back at Westover Hills and back in San Antonio where the food tastes good. You people are spoiled in this city. A year ago, I moved to California and I learned something very quickly that when I lived in Texas and Dallas, you had to look really, really hard to find something healthy to eat. When you move to California, everything is organic, gluten-free, blessed by some monkey that's going to help your lower intestine. And now you got to look really, really hard to find something fried and bad to eat. And so I'm sure between now and between here and the airport, there's a taco or gordita, a taquito with my name on it because I feel like carb loading today. Come on, do I got any people who are going to go with me? I'm telling you, I, uh, I love when I get to come. Uh, I, I, all kidding aside, I do love the food, but the people are just amazing. And can I tell you that you have picked just one of God's favorite churches right here at Westover Hills. I mean, you got 27 people between the parking lot and here that are saying, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home. They open the door, welcome home. Where's the bathroom? Welcome home. I mean, this just everywhere is welcome home. And you just feel so loved and cherished. I mean, you've got incredible worship. Come on, give it up for this team. That's phenomenal. Come on, it's a garment of praise, not an attitude of heaviness that they're singing. It's incredible. And I think the whole reflection is incredible leadership top to bottom here. But I just love to give honor to Pastor Jim and Pastor Denise. Come on, do you love your senior pastors? Phenomenal people. Every time I get around, I just, my heart gets a little bigger. My strengths just start to explode. And, and uh, I just so appreciate honor the both of you. But I, I, uh, I would enjoy the night we had, men. On Friday night. It was powerful. Come on, man, let me hear you. It was incredible, just like Pastor Jim was saying. And I want to remind you uh, of what it means to have that authentic manhood, uh, those four key uh, core values. Number one, reject passivity. Number two, uh, lead, take, her, uh, take responsibility, lead with courage, and live by faith. If you can do those four things, there's an authentic womanhood and manhood that's on the inside of you. Well, I'll tell you, this weekend I came weapons hot. I've got a word because I believe the whole message has a prophetic edge uh, on it because I want to speak to people uh, who have promises on their life but have yet to be fulfilled. I want to speak to people who have dreams or goals or a vision board somewhere in the garage, you know, that you have put up with all kinds of color-coded whatever so that you can see God move you out of what might be into what is actually happening. And I, I feel like my assignment is to blow the dust off of doubt, the dust of discouragement, the dust of failure right off of you so you can start operating in what God's called you to move into and have your God-given de destiny be the best days of your life. And so, do I have an assignment this morning? Come on, do I have a word this morning? Okay, now, I will tell you, as you can tell, I'm Hispanic. We're the top of people. Let's just be honest. We've got a bunch of caramel people in here. Come on, all the brown people. Come on. Yes, we got some chocolate. Come on, chocolate. Make some noise. And, of course, we got some whipped cream up in here, too. Everybody, we just one big Sunday. That's what we are. All right? But the truth is, I, I, I'm Hispanic, and we don't do anything halfway. We're the type of people you hear before you see. That's who we are. And so I, I need you to talk back to me. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. yes. Say, come on, somebody. Say, some on somebody. I don't even know. I don't even know how to spell that. All right. Biggest word I know is mayonnaise. All right. So here we go. All right. Are you ready for the word? I believe you. Turn on your Bible and go to Genesis 16. Genesis, the 16th chapter. While you're turning there, let me give you some background because we're going to pick up in a moment in history that we kind of parachute in the middle of. In Genesis 12, go to Genesis 16, but in Genesis 12, God comes to Abram. 
And he says, Abram, I'm going to give you a list of promises. These aren't just, these aren't just hope so pipe dreams. These are as good as you can take them to the bank. I'm going to give you a list of promises. One of them is I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, which means that he is eventually going to have children. He's going to have an heir, specifically a son. And so between Genesis 12 and Genesis 16, that many believe that's about a 10 to 12 year span between the life of Abram. And what's so interesting is that uh, he starts to walk with this promise and this word in his heart, but hasn't seen one ounce of uh, fulfillment in between this decade, if not 12 years. And so like many have in the past, and definitely with Abram, they start to get a little restless. God, when is this going to happen? God, when are you going to pour this out? God, when are you going to fulfill? When are you going to reconcile? When are you going to complete? When are you going to finish? When is this going to take place? And so we see what this mistake that Abram makes right here in Genesis 16. Look at this. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Follow along with me. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Everybody say heeded. Say it again. Say heeded. I want you to remember that word because there's significance of meaning in that word. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when Sarai saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Let's pray for a moment, Westover. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to fill this entire room right now. I thank you that there is purpose that is being identified right now. I thank you they're going to hear the voice within the voice. That they're not here for one-liners. They're not here just for a hot word. They're not just here for a Sunday spiritual meal. But they are here for a fresh encounter. So I speak to this atmosphere. And I say that you are full of faith. And you are full of hope. And you are full of peace. And you are full of joy. And everyone is full of purpose. I come against every lie, every limit, every demonic harassment is Broken right now in Jesus' name. And I call every man and every woman into their season, into their strength, and into their identity that they would walk with such a passionate purpose that can only come from the heart of God. I thank you that these people here are being readied for the more and the delays are done, and the drought is over, and the dryness is breaking as you are sending rain, as you are calling a fresh fire to come on us, and you're going to move us into purpose and passion in Jesus' name. And everyone shout it. Amen. 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 I'm calling this message in the meantime. Maybe you've discovered it, but there is a place between promise and fulfillment that's called in the meantime. Maybe you've noticed this, that what do I do between the time I get the prophetic word and the time that the prophetic word comes to pass, what do I do in this space right here is called in the meantime. And what better place to learn about waiting than in the meantime. I don't know if you've ever had to wait in your life. If you are married, I guarantee you men, you have had to wait at least once. If you have children, especially daughters, you have had to wait at least once, okay? But waiting, what better place to learn about waiting than in a waiting room? 
I remember one time, I was, uh, it was in Texas, up, uh, up in Dallas, and I, I remember I was in my backyard, I was clearing out all this brush, cutting off all these tree limbs, uh, I mean, mowing the grass, I was in the thick of a bunch of stuff, and pulling it out, and bagging it, and chopping it in pieces, and all this, I had to get my yard looking right, and, and so that night I went to a conference, when I came back, I noticed that when I took my shoe off, it was like my foot fell out of my shoe, <laughs> you're like Nutty Professor, <laughs> just like that, out of my shoe. And then I took my other one, and the same thing happened. Then I looked at my legs, and my legs were so swollen. Oh, that's weird. So you know what I should do? I should probably go to bed tonight, and I should put like three pillows under my legs so that all the juices can come back this way. And then because I'm Hispanic, I sprayed some Windex on it just to help the juices come back. Right? Don't know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, so I, I, I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and it's like double the size. And I, I, I don't have an ankle. I just have a calf muscle with a foot. Looks like a bad toy. It looks like a cankle. And so, and so I'm sitting there, and um, I, I remember I go to church. I, I'm preaching at church that morning. I can't fit into any of my shoes. I mean, none of them. Not one. The only thing I could fit in was my sandals, my chanclas, okay? And I, it was pathetic because my foot didn't even reach. It was like, here's the chancla, right? And then here's my toes just trying, crawling, begging to get there, all right? And so I... I am literally walking around the stage preaching like I've got scuba gear on, walking around talking and sharing the message that I had that morning. Well, a nurse walks up to me that morning. She says, hey, you need to go to the hospital. I said, apparently you don't know what Hispanics do after church. We do one of two things. After church, we either go home and we take a nap. Exactly. Or number two, we go eat and then we take a nap. But either way, we get in a siesta. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I think that's true across all Christendom, all right, it really is. And so I, I, I remember I go to my mama's house, come on, mama's cooking, and she looks at me and she says, Mijo, you need to go to the hospital. So I, you know, my wife and my mom gang up on me, they pressure me, my dad and I jump in the car, we go to this clinic. You know, I don't want to go to the hospital just yet, let me go to the clinic in case they need a special Windex they got to put on my legs, maybe I need to get from this clinic. Well, I walk into one, I think it's called Care Now, they probably should change that to like Care Later or care less, or I don't care, something like that, probably more accurate because I got in there, no one else is in there, and they're still making me wait. I mean, like 40 minutes later, I get back there, and the doctor just doesn't even examine me, just takes one look and goes, oh, you have a blood clot. I'm like, what? I got to get on a plane to Columbia the next day. I can't have a blood clot and be on a plane. So he's like, you need to get to the hospital. So I rush to the emergency room. Now, what I'm about to tell you happened in a span of all of five minutes. Five minutes, all right? Anybody else have the type of life where all the weird junk happens to you? Like your life is one big meme. You could have your own page. That's my life, all right? I come in with my elephant feet, and I start walking, and I walk up to the emergency room, and I'm panicked. I'm like, ma'am, I need to see a doctor. Apparently I got a blood clot, and these legs aren't mine, and I need my legs back, and I got to get on a plane, and I feel like I'm going to die. I think I'm dying right now. Ma'am, I need to see a doctor. She didn't even make eye contact with me. She just looks and says, fill out this paperwork. Make sure you sign the forms in the bag. Make sure you don't miss a spot. I said, ma'am, ma'am. I said, this is, this is the emergency room. I got an emergency. And then she looked at me with all the attitude. She said, son, actually she said, baby, I can make you wait 12, 18, 24 hours if I want to. Now, do you want to wait on me or you want to fill out the paperwork? I'm, I'm going to fill out the paperwork. I'm going to fill out the paperwork. Now, I go into this waiting room. It's mainly empty. Now, there, again, this is all five minutes. I start filling out the paperwork. 
My, I'm sitting in one chair. My dad's sitting across in the other aisle, and we're looking at each other, and I'm filling out. Now, there is a rule, okay? You may not know this, but there is an unsaid human law that when you're in a room or a church service, that when you sit down, there should at least be, if possible, a one-chair rule between you and somebody you don't know. Come on, anybody else know what I'm talking about? Is, don't you find it kind of awkward when you're in a waiting room all by yourself, and then someone comes and sits right next to you, and they give you a weird look. Just like that. Some of you have done that this morning because you've never heard of this rule, and you're the most socially accepting person on the planet, but you're sitting with a family, and the entire family is wondering, like, who is that? So I, I, I go, and I sit down. Again, all in five minutes. I sit down, and this guy comes in. Ah, ah, ah. Just like that. Where does this man decide to sit? To my right, next to your boy, right here. And I look at him, and I said, bro, what happened to you? He said, my hernia broke through, and it's sticking out of my skin. And he opened it, it looked like an alien, ah, coming out of his body. You ever seen that old 80s, ah, just like that. And I'm like, hey. The next minute, another guy comes in. Millions of chairs in this waiting room. Where does he sit? On the other side of me. And I'm like, I, I said, bro, what happened to you? He said, I just got shot, and I think they're still chasing me. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a true story. My dad's across cracking up because he knows I hate this stuff. I hate, I'm a German I hate this stuff. So, so I, I, I remember I, 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 at this moment, the next minute, a woman escapes out from the back. She has a hospital gown that's not buttoned in the back. And she's got two balloons with string tied to her elbows and two cups of coffee. And she breaks up, boom, breaks out and goes, I'm an evangelist sent by the Lord to, say, to the waiting rooms of America to say that the glory of the Lord is in this place. She turns around. You ever seen stuff and you're like, oh, my God, mind scrub, mind scrub, mind scrub. There was a glory. It just wasn't the Lord's glory. I remember I take the paperwork and I go to the counter and I, I'm like, man, please. I get back there. I found out I was standing in Poison Oak the entire day before. And I'm over here just like this. You know, why does it seem like some seasons of our life is like one big waiting room? It, it seems like the promises of God say, oh, come on in to your dad. Come on in. Have a seat. <laughs> why, why does it seem the prophetic word says, hey, come on in. Take a number. Hey, come on in. Be right with you. Why, why does it seem like a lot of our life seems like a bunch of hurry up. Now wait. Hurry up some more. Now wait. Hurry up again. Now wait. Why does it seem like our marriages can be like that? Our parenting can be like that? Our finances can be like that? I, I mean, my goodness, you get on Dave Ramsey's and you're like, dude, I'm going to settle debt in a week. Five years later, you still got envelopes all over your house. When is it going to be over? I'll tell you when. When you learn how to wait. Because the truth is, how we wait determines how long we wait. And what happens in this waiting period is so crucial because let me say this to you. Who you're becoming while you're waiting is more important than what you're waiting for. You need to remember. I'm talking about remember, inbred, I'm talking about engrave this in your heart. Who you're becoming while you're waiting is more important than what you are waiting for. And God is more interested in the character, in the identity, 
in the integrity, in the spiritual disciplines you are developing because he knows that the promise is already going to happen. What he needs to know is that can you handle it right? And so if you're in the meantime, I'm talking about between promise and fulfillment, I want to give you three questions to ask yourself, all right? Three questions to measure and see if you are waiting properly. Because the truth is, waiting, honestly, is an elementary principle of the things of God. It is not this advanced place for everyone. Every place, there's a place in all of our lives where we are, we are anticipating the Lord to break through. But again, how we wait will determine how long we wait. And so I, uh, let me give you three questions. The first one is this. Whose voice are you listening to? This is crucial to the growth of you coming into your destiny. Whose voice are you listening to? You know, here it says, Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. You know what that word heeded means? It literally means obeyed. It doesn't mean listen. And Abram obeyed the voice of Sarai. Not the voice of the Lord. Not the will of God. And Abram obeyed the voice of his wife. Now follow me for a second. This is not bad wisdom to obey the voice of your wife. I've been married long enough to know. I obey the voice of Erica Estrada. But I can tell you that when God speaks, his voice supersedes every single voice in my life. No matter who else's opinion is coming after what God has spoken to me. But I better make sure that I know it's the voice of the Lord. Did you know this word heated? This is not the first time it's used in the Bible, this, Greek, this Hebrew word. It's actually first used in Genesis 3 in the garden with Adam and Eve. Look at the similarities of what happens at the fruit of this word. It says in Genesis with Abram, it says, Sarai spoke to her husband Abram. Eve spoke to her husband Adam. Adam, or I'm sorry, Abram obeyed the voice of his wife. Adam obeyed the voice of Eve. Sarai took Hagar to Abram. Eve took the fruit to Adam. Sarai gave Hagar to her husband. Eve gave the fruit to her husband. It, 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 I think when many times what happens is we get impatient, we get restless, and we haven't seen the breakthrough that God promised us and we start to subscribe to, well, maybe I need to do something different. Isn't it interesting? The enemy knows how to tempt you. Because he'll come and he'll show you how to cut corners. How to cheat the system. And he thinks that you can coupon code or Amazon Prime your way right into your destiny. But the truth is, your destiny is not going on sale ever. The price is the price. It will never end up in clearance. There is no layaway plan. There is one plan. Take up your cross and follow after him and trust him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. In everything that you do, learn to listen to his voice. You know, I, I, I have learned most of the times in the hard way to never go against the revealed will of God. When someone speaks a, a prophetic word to me, when I feel the truth of God's word as I'm reading it, or his voice speaks as I'm hearing it, as I'm praying, I never go against that. I have found that there is a peace that can come from facts. But even if all the facts add up and it's against what God said, I still won't do it. 
Because there is a peace that comes from facts and there is a peace that comes from faith. There is a direction that comes from facts and there is a direction that comes from faith. And what we need to learn, the first thing in the middle, in the meantime, is whose voice am I listening to? Here's the second thing. Second question. Second question you should ask yourself if you're in between promise, prophetic word, and fulfillment. Number two, what's he developing on the inside of you? You know, I, I pay, let me back up, pay attention to what he's challenging, highlighting, or correcting in your life in the meantime. In other words, if you are struggling with anger, you should not be studying prosperity. Why is it all quiet in the Spearfield Church? <laughs> Some <are> like, oh. <laughs> Nothing wrong, but he's highlighting that because he wants to minister to it then, right? You know, I, I, I hated, hate's the right word. I know it's a strong word, but I extremely, violently hated high school math. I, can't, I just, oh my gosh, you talk about some of the greatest moments of intercession happened in my math class. I'm, I'm telling you, because from first grade to eighth grade, math made sense. Do you remember this? Right? Math made sense. It, two plus two equaled. <laughs> Thank you. Small child beat most of these adults to the answer. <laughs> four plus four equals eight. I don't know where they went, but okay. Uh, eight, right? It made sense. But then you get to high school. And someone had the demonically inspired idea to throw the alphabet with all the numbers. And now X minus 7 times 3 equals Y. What does Y mean? Who cares what Y mean? Who did this? It, anybody else? I'm telling I would get in yelling matches with my calculus teacher. I'm, I'm full on. Full on. And I, I remember because he would assign homework. All right? This is how he would assign homework. He would say, Everybody, I want you to do homework tonight. I want you to do all the problems on page 149. Well, I knew that I could get at least a 50 because all the answers to all the odd problems were in the back of the book. Come on, anybody else pass high school that way? Come on, thank you, Jesus. Any faith? He's faithful. He's faithful. The only problem is, is they would show you the answer. They would not show you how to get to that answer because after he said do all the problems on page 149, what would he follow with? And... Show your work. Demonic words right there in high school. And so, I, I, I mean, we would go after it because I would get the answer right on all the odd problems, which is really weird. Um, but I, it, I, 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 could, I would never show my work. And I'm like, even if it was a good guess, you should give me some credit. He's like, nope, didn't show your work. And I, sure enough, fast forward a few years, I lead a small group, and my small group is filled with teachers, principals, and educators. <laughs> God has some sense of humor, apparently. <laughs> Knowing my level of uh, humor and sarcasm, I stopped him one day. I said, okay, listen, I got to ask you all a question. Why do you insist on being inspired of the devil and used of Beelzebub to torture the children of America by putting the alphabet and the numbers together? Who taught you this? Of course, they're looking at me like, you're so crazy. <laughs> and they said, Pastor Chris, what you need to understand is that when we're getting our degree, we go through a section called the mastering of content. And what the mastering of content is, is that a teacher does not know that the student has learned the lesson, not based on if they can give the right answer, but if they can show the journey and show their work on how they got to that answer. 
And let me tell you, I think many of us, when we have problems, issues, storms, walls come up in our life, when we're facing giants, we know what songs to sing, we know what prayers to pray, we know what scriptures to quote, but the problem is we have not been showing our work. And then we are trying to pull out this authority we do not have in an anointing that's coming for the moment, and we don't know what to do because we haven't paid attention to what he's developing. You know, let me put it to you like this. I, I, here's your promise. Here's your prophetic word. Here's the dream, the goal, the vision, the strategy. Here's it all starts right here. And then God says, this is what it's going to look like. Well, in our natural minds, we just look at it and we say, you know what? The shortest route is a straight line. But have you noticed, God starts you way back over here. And he starts saying, okay, if you want to go from here to there, you got to go through this learning place. You got to go through this stretching. You got to go through this fasting. You got to go through this correction. You got to go to this wilderness. You got to go to this this place. You got to go through that issue. You got to address that weakness. You got to in order for you to get this. Why? Because if you don't go through all of that and show your work, you won't be able to carry this right here. Now I believe it is the mercy of Almighty God that promotion hasn't come on some of our lives, because what the enemy loves to do is trick you into things and tell you that you're ready for them when you have not shown your work and you watch as premature fulfillment begins to crush your marriage, your children, your own soul because you wanted something and your appetite got bigger than your anointing and your authority. What's he developing on the inside of you? Pay attention to that. Here's the third question. This is crucial. Here's the third question. Remember, number one, whose voice do you listen to? Number two, what's he developing on the inside of you? Number three... Do you want the promise more than the promiser? Do you want the promise more than the promiser? This will illuminate all the motive behind what you want. Do you desire the promise, the breakthrough, the blessing, the check, the job, the promotion, the relationship more than you do him? I, I, uh, I had a friend, he, um, he took me to lunch one day. He saw that I, I had this question that I needed to answer. Do I want this or do I want him? And I remember he told me a story. He said, uh, he said back in the 80s, there's was an older man in the faith. He said, back in the 80s, I was living in New Mexico and I went from having plenty of money in the bank. I'm a real estate developer, very successful at this point. He's a brilliant man. And uh, he said that in... He said, like, overnight, he went from having plenty in his bank account to owing the bank $750,000. That's a bad day. Like, that's not a bad day. That's a bad day, okay? And so he says, I, I, obviously, I'm not a lazy man. I have a strong work ethic. So he said, you know, I, I didn't know what else to do, so I just got before the Lord. And he said, I, I went in there. I read my Bible. I prayed. I worshiped. I had literally nothing. The, the real estate, the banks weren't loaning any money. There was nothing for me to move across the table into contract and ink something. There's no way. And so he, he said he would pray. And man, he got into about the sixth, seventh, eighth day of this time. And the presence of God became so strong because from morning to night, basically when he woke up to when he could go to sleep, he would just be in the word. He would just be in the presence. He, he would just be with God. And the presence of God would fill his bedroom and the saturation of that presence would cover him. And he just felt like God was so close, he was closer than my skin. 
It was tangible. I could feel it, not just in my spirit. I could feel it. I could feel him touching my life. I could feel him changing my heart. I almost forgot the, the desperate situation I was in. About 14 days into this journey, he gets a call from one of the bankers. One of the president's bank. He said, Dean, his name's Dean. He said, Dean, he said, you need to get down here. Uh, there's two men here who want to make an offer on a piece of property. And obviously knowing your accounts, you can really use this. He said, no problem. He gets, gets stressed, goes down to the conference room. He sits across the conference table from two men. And one of them says, listen, we're not here to negotiate. The price that we set for you is the price. What's on this check is what we're willing to pay. Dean said, well, okay. So he, they take a, an envelope out of a, one of their jacket pockets, slide across the table. And Dean opens it. It's a check for $1 million. $1 million. Apparently, okay, when's the last time you had a mill? Like, I mean, like a million dollars. Now, I, I told you I can't do the alphabet math pretty well, but I can do math math real well. You $750,000 debt, you got a million dollars, you got $250,000, just a whatever. So I, and I blurted out, I said, man, I bet you signed it and went and cashed that check quick. And he said, no. I said, what? He said, no. I said, you crazy. He said, no. He said, Chris, son, what, what I'm trying to tell you he said, is you need to listen to this part. He said, the time I was having with the Lord was so rich and so strong that I was worried I would lose that if I went and deposited this check because my need had been met. And he meant more to me than any of my needs being met. And he said, Chris, do you want the promise or do you want the promise, sir? You get to have both if you choose him. But you don't get to have him if you only want the promise. My question to you, in your marriage, in your job, in your dreams, do you want the promise or the promise, sir? It's just no different than what he offered Moses. He said, I'll give you the promised land, but I'm not coming with you. Moses, in wisdom, says, God, how will people know that we're different if you don't come with me? He says, I, I, basically what he's saying is, I would rather have the wilderness with you than the promised land without you. And I think for us, this society, the culture that we're living in says grind hard, hustle all day, burn down every bridge, leave a trail dead by, as long as you get what you want. The problem is, is you have left holes in people's hearts, relationships have become spoiled because you were chasing the promise and not the promise, sir. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and add no sorrow to your life. You know you got the true breakthrough when everyone around you is better for it and it's not just all about you. Do you want the promise or the promise, sir? Uh, one of my favorite scriptures on waiting is Isaiah 40, 31. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will rise up with wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let me break this down to you. It says, those who wait on the Lord. You know that word wait in the Hebrew actually is the Hebrew word kavah, Q-A-V-A-H. And it literally means this. It literally means if I'm going to wait for someone, I am going to take a rope and I'm going to bind themselves myself to them. If I'm going to wait for my wife, I am taking a rope and I am tying myself to her. If I'm going to wait on the Lord, I am going to tie myself to him because I don't want to get ahead of him and I don't want to fall behind him. And I think many of us, were trying to get to God's places in our life early. If you get there early, that doesn't make you early, that makes you wrong. 
because you didn't bind yourself to him. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Here's what's interesting, is I've watched people who wait on the Lord and they have an abiding peace and they have an abiding joy and they have a strong faith and they have a clear focus. And then I've met people who've been waiting for the same amount of time, who say they're waiting on the Lord, but they're jaded, they're cynical, they're critical, they're discouraging, they have a wet blanket anointing about anything that's fresh. Why? Because one person is waiting properly and the other has not learned how to wait. How you wait determines how long you wait. And then it says, you will rise up with wings of eagles. In other words, this is prophetic talk here. You have to understand there's historical value behind this, but there's prophetic talk going on. An eagle is probably the supreme bird of all the sky because it can see the best and you can fly the highest. And when it says you will rise up on wings of eagles, what he's really saying is that you will see things from heaven's perspective. So when I bind myself to him, I have a constant supply of strength. I have a constant supply of courage. I have a constant supply of joy and everything else that benefits me through Christ. And then I get to see not just the design, the grandest sign. Not just one plan, God's plan. The bigger picture is unveiled to me. And then it says you'll run and not grow weary. You'll walk and not faint. I think many times... We are running when we should be walking and walking when we should be running. And you know it because you end up, if you're struggling, man, I feel dry. I don't have enough strength. I feel empty. I feel directionless. I feel confused. I don't know if this is it. I don't know if that's then. I don't know what to do. Friend, perhaps maybe you're trying to run when you should be walking or walking when you should be running. Do you want the promiser more than the promise? I, I, I'll say this last thing again. Who you're becoming while you're waiting is more important than what you're waiting for. Would you stand up with me this morning, church? I feel the presence of God all over this place. And I want to ask some people to make an internal decision right now. Because the truth is, if you don't have the direction of the Lord behind you, covering you, you will not wait properly. You'll get ahead, you'll fall behind, you'll face unnecessary stress and pressure. And the truth is there's only one play, only one way to live this life. It's to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and let him do all the guiding and all the directing while he is marinating and seasoning and developing you for your next season. If you have never given your life to Jesus, can I be just, I love you enough and I respect you enough to tell you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, no wonder you feel dry. No wonder you feel empty. No wonder you feel guilty or dirty. Things never change. You're in a fruitless, lifeless cycle. But when you give your life to Jesus, he breaks all of those curses. He wipes all of your sin off of you. He cleans you. He cleanses you. He begins to give you fresh vision for the life he intended you to have. And I love a promise that says that God will give you back the years that the locusts have eaten away from you. In other words, the years are not going to be added to your life. But he will make sure that in the time you have left, he will bring it back around. But that all comes by humbling yourself, not hardening your heart, and giving your life to Jesus. You won't have an in the meantime if you don't. You won't have fulfillment if you don't. Not lasting, not pure, not holy. The only way you do that is by surrendering your life 
to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, I want to ask you to make that decision. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place, say, Pastor Chris, you're speaking right to me. I need to give my life. I, 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 I need to get it right. I need to give it to God. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the addictions. I'm tired of the sin. I'm tired of the brokenness. I'm just tired of it. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, Pastor Chris, pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Who am I talking to this morning? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Who else? Who else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Hands all over this room. Front to back, top to bottom. Hands all over. I want you to take that hand and put it down. I, church, I believe that the first thing God said was bad was that man should not be alone. In other words, we don't do anything by ourselves in the kingdom of God. We need that covenant relationship that's in this room through this amazing church. But I also believe that the first step should not be done alone. And I want to ask my friends, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I'm going to ask the church to pray with you. The truth is, I, it doesn't, uh, there's nothing magical about the words, but what's supernatural is the meaning in your heart. Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to repeat after me, church, and let's pray with some strength and some volume and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for sinning against you. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again, that you're alive today, and I thank you that I am yours. I thank you that you're with me. You won't leave me, and you won't forget about me. I surrender my all to you. In your name I pray, amen. Come on church, let's make some noise. Incredible, incredible. I wanna pray over those that this message is touching in the right way. Maybe you've got plans, you've got dreams, you've got goals. Maybe you're trying to finish the college degree. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to re-spark something in your marriage. Maybe you're trying to figure out how do I get from, from a promise word to fulfillment. But you need to learn how to wait. And if you say, Pastor Chris, would you pray with me? I need a grace to wait. Would you stand in agreement with me? If you've got dreams, plans, if you've got words spoken over your life and you need to see it happen, would you raise your hand real high? Who am I praying for this morning? Say, Pastor Chris, would you pray over me? Would you pray over me? Would you pray over My goodness, look at all these hands. A, you want to know why? Because destiny's in all of us. There's not one purpose in this room that God is not looking at. Every person has a purpose in this room. Take that hand, put it on your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release the grace to wait properly. That we would wait and we would renew our strength. We wouldn't get frustrated. We wouldn't get flustered. We wouldn't get distracted by what we're not seeing or what isn't happening. But Lord, we would cling to a hope. We would hold on to a strength and you would renew our strength every moment we need it as a result of us waiting properly that we would see things from heaven's perspective give us that prophetic kingdom sight and then lord would you cause us to know which seasons we should be running and which seasons we should be walking so we are never drained we are never dry and we are never weary i thank you that the plans and the destinies of god are being loosed out of this house in the mighty name of jesus if you agree with that somebody shout amen